Um, so I was in seventh grade, and I played on the basketball team at my school, and um, I wasn't very good at basketball at all. It was a small uh, Christian school. It's one of those things where basically everyone makes the team. Um, but while I wasn't very good at basketball, our team was actually very good. We did not lose a game the entire year. And in fact, our smallest margin of victory, the least amount of points that we ever won by was 20. Like we just blew away every single team we played that year. So it was like an amazing, fun season. But the thing I remember most from this year of basketball is that at every home game, we would go out and we would warm up. And then after warm-ups, we would go back into this small, musty, kind of smelly little locker room. We would sit down and our coach would give us the pregame speech. And then after he gave the pregame speech, we would all stand up and we would walk to the back of the locker room where it was kind of this tile area where the showers were, you know, super dingy, probably covered in asbestos. Like it's got, you can smell it right now if you picture it. So we would walk back into the shower area. We would stand in a circle. We would lock arms. And then in unison, we would say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. Amen. And then we would run out and we would absolutely mop the floor with whoever was unlucky enough to be playing against us that week. Now, like, at the time, I never really understood, and I still don't actually, if I'm honest, understood why we would do this before every game. And, you know, if I'm honest, it, it always kind of seemed a little weird that we would go, we would circle up and be this very kind of spiritual moment where, like, our Father who are in heaven, we would say amen, and then our coach is like, all right, boys, let's go step on their throats. It's like, yeah, I don't know, that's, that's weird. So I, I don't really get why we did it, but I, I can say today that having done that, I remember every single word of that prayer, and I learned it not in church, I learned it from doing it before those basketball games. Now, it's not weird, it's not unusual that at a small Christian school we would pray the Lord's Prayer before a basketball game, but actually this week I was talking to Pastor Ryan, and, and he was saying that at his public high school, before their soccer games, at his public high school, their soccer team would get around, they'd get in a circle, put their arms around one another, and they would say the Lord's Prayer together. And then after that, this week on Netflix, I was watching this um, Bruce Springsteen special, the uh, Springsteen on Broadway. It's this performance where he performs on Broadway. And so at the end of this performance, Bruce Springsteen, the boss, right, he tells this like emotionally stirring story about going back to his hometown. And at the end of this story, as he concludes this Netflix special, he closes by leading the crowd in a type of benediction where he recites the Lord's Prayer. And so my point is, is that in our culture, and really in so many cultures all around the globe, the Lord's Prayer is everywhere. Even if you have not grown up in church, even if this is your first time ever in church, you are probably somewhat familiar with the Lord's Prayer. If you grew up Catholic, you may know it as the Our Father. But all of us, we have heard this prayer at some point in time. And if you grew up in certain Christian traditions, you have probably recited this prayer so many times that you literally could not even try to count if you wanted to. So you, you may be thinking, hey, like we all know the Lord's Prayer, we've heard it, why in the world are we going to spend like eight weeks doing a series on the Lord's Prayer? And the reason is, is because when Jesus wanted to intentionally teach his disciples how to pray, 
this was the prayer he taught them. When Jesus wanted to teach his followers what it looked like to faithfully pray to God the Father, this is the model prayer that he gave them. So, what that means is that whoever you are and wherever you are on your spiritual journey and specifically your journey with prayer, like wherever you're at, whether you have been praying for 80 years and you feel like a veteran at it, or maybe if you've never really prayed, you're not sure what kind of words you would even use to begin praying, and, and prayer is very new to you, wherever you are on that continuum, I think we can all learn to grow in our prayer lives by re-examining the Lord's Prayer with fresh eyes. So what we're going to do is this morning, we're going to start, we're going to look at Luke chapter 11, and we're going to look at the story of kind of how the Lord's prayer came to be, like what spurred Jesus to even give us this prayer in the first place, where did it come from, and why it matters. We're going to look at that today, and then starting next week, we're going to kind of go, start going line by line at these different parts of the Lord's prayer to see what they each are teaching us about prayer, and then on the final week, the last week of February, what we're going to do is whatever questions you have about the Lord's prayer um, specifically or just prayer in general, we're going to spend that Sunday trying to answer those questions. So if you were here when we did our spiritual warfare series, you remember the last week of that, we just kind of popcorn, tried to answer as many questions as we could. We're going to do the same thing, but with prayer. So be thinking about what questions you have about prayer, what doesn't make sense, what's confusing to you about it. And starting next week, we'll begin collecting those questions. And then the last Sunday in February, we'll try to answer as many of those as we can. But for this morning, I'm going to pick it up, Luke chapter 11, as we dig in and start seeing the origins of the Lord's Prayer. So Luke chapter 11, verse 1, this is what it says. It says, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Jesus' followers come to say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And then he responds by giving the Lord's Prayer. I know in that translation it's probably different than you learned growing up, but that's what that is. This is the Lord's Prayer. Now, step back and think about this, and this is actually really fascinating because Jesus' disciples, those are his first followers, they have already been following Jesus for a while at this point. And here, on this particular day, they come up to Jesus, and notice, they don't say, hey, Jesus, those miracles you do, man, those are pretty sweet. Like, could you maybe teach us how to do those miracles? They don't do that. They don't say, hey, Jesus, could you teach us how to preach like you do? Because, like, man, you did the Sermon on the Mount, and there was, like, a crowd of thousands, and, man, they were eating out of the palm of your hand. Like, we have never seen somebody preach with that much power. Jesus, will you teach us how to preach like that? They don't do that. Instead, they come to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? Now think of who these disciples are. These are all young Jewish men. Most of these guys, most of these guys who ask Jesus this question, they have grown up going to synagogue every week of their lives. These are very religious young men. So they've been taught all the prayers from the time they could talk. They have recited prayers corporately as they gathered at the synagogue each week. They have almost certainly prayed for sick friends or family members, right? They grew up praying. But having witnessed the prayer life of Jesus, they saw how Jesus prayed and they stopped and they thought, they said, man, 
I don't know, I think something's missing in our prayer life. I think maybe we still have room to grow in our prayer life. So they say, Jesus, will you take some time to teach us how to pray? So here's what this shows us. If you're a note taker, here's kind of the main idea for today. And I'd encourage you to write this down because while this is really simple, it's really important. What this shows us is that prayer is a learned skill. Prayer is a learned skill. These disciples, these Jewish young men who grew up in religious families, they grew up going to synagogue, learning all the prayers. Even still, they realized that they needed help to grow in their prayer lives. And here's why, even though that is so simple, it's so important. It's because if we were to take a survey this morning and we were to ask, hey, do you feel like you are where you should be in your prayer life? Do you feel like your prayer life is what it should be? Are you satisfied with your prayer life? If we took a survey and we all answered honestly, I would push all my chips into the table and I would bet the farm that at minimum 95% of us would say, nah, my prayer life isn't where it should be. Yeah, I've got a lot of room to grow in my prayer life. And I would bet that because I'm the pastor and that would be my answer too. Like, I look at my prayer life, I'm like, man, my prayer life kind of stinks. Like, I have so much room to grow when it comes to prayer. And so as we start this series, I just want to kind of set this foundation and this expectation that if you're here and you feel like your prayer life is lacking, you are not alone. That is how the majority of us in this room right now feel. It's like if you're here and you're like, man, my prayer life is not what it should be. My prayer life is lacking. Like, I want you to take a deep breath. And like, like, legitimately, I want us to take a deep breath together, okay? If you feel like your prayer life is lacking, on the count of three, let's take a deep breath. One, two, three. There's grace for us. There's grace for us in that because Jesus understands that prayer does not come natural, that prayer requires learning, that it is a discipline that we have to grow in. And so Jesus, in his grace, he gives his followers this model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, that begin to teach us how to pray. And so I, I sell that up to kind of set up our expectations over the next few weeks and that we don't want this series to be like a guilt trip where you come in and I don't want you feeling like you're getting beat over the head and we're saying, man, you are such a lazy, undisciplined slacker. Why don't you spend more time praying? I want us to be encouraged and I want us to feel equipped to grow in our prayer life. And when we think about growing in our prayer life, here's the expectation I want you to put on yourself. I, I don't want you to have this expectation that like on a scale of one to 10, that if you're like at a three when it comes to praying today, that at the end of this series you're going to be at a ten. I don't think that's reasonable. I don't think that's realistic. I think a better expectation is let's all, just all stop and say, hey God, would you through your word and the power of your spirit, would you just through the course of the next weeks, would you help me grow just 10% in my prayer life? God, in my prayer life, through your word and what you teach in it and through your spirit illuminating that word to my heart, would you just help me grow 10% in my prayer life, because here's the deal, man. If we as a church family, as we as a congregation, if we all grew just 10% in our lives of prayer, then man, I think there is power in that. 
And so all that to say, like, if you feel unequipped, if you feel lacking in your prayer life, you are not alone. That's okay. At the same time, here is why it's so vital, it's so critical that we don't stay where we are, but instead we seek to grow in our prayer life. It's because what Jesus shows us in the very next verse is that prayer actually changes things. So while a lot of us feel lacking, while a lot of us feel unequipped, while a lot of us feel like our prayer lives are not where they need to be, and that's okay, we need to ask God to grow us in our prayer lives because prayer matters. Jesus is going to show us that prayer actually changes things in this world and on this earth. So the disciples come, they say, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? He responds by giving them the Lord's Prayer, and then look at the very next verse, verse 5. It says, then, teaching them more about prayer, Jesus used this story. He said, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You said to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose your neighbor calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed, I can't help you. But I'll tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence, right? Jesus tells this story or this parable about, and he's teaching us about prayer. He says, hey, uh, imagine that it's late one night, you've got some friends, and they show up at your house from out of town. And when they show up, you realize, like, oh, shoot, we didn't go grocery shopping. We didn't plan for this. We didn't prepare, and you've got nothing for them to eat. And, right, like, this is, this is back in the day. You, they can't go through Whataburger, drive through late at night. There's no DoorDash. Like, you are out of luck. And so, Jesus says that they're traveling all day, they're hungry, and now it's midnight. And again, remember back in this day, there's no electricity, so midnight does not mean what it means for us. Midnight is not, you know what, I should probably start turning off Netflix, winding down, I should start thinking about going to sleep. That's not midnight in this day. In this day, midnight is literally middle of the night. Like as soon as it gets dark, you go to bed. There's nothing to do. This is like deep in the middle of your REM cycle sleep. So you're sitting there, it's midnight, you've got no food for your guests, and so you say, hey, I know what, I'll go next door, I'll knock on Fred's door, and I'll ask him for some food. I'll go ask him for three loaves of bread. Now again, in this day, three loaves of bread, understand, that's a big ask. Three loaves of bread in this day is enough food to feed a family for multiple days. So this isn't like you're just going and asking for a cup of sugar. This is like you're going and saying, hey Fred, um, can I get a couple pounds of ground beef? Maybe some chicken thighs, a bag of potatoes, a couple cups of rice. Um, maybe if you got anything green or some vegetables that we can throw a few salads together, like that'd be great. Can you help us out? So you go over, you go next door, you wake up this man and his entire family, including the newborn, to ask them for that. What's he going to say? He's going to say, Go away, you lunatic. And that's like the G-rated version. He's probably not going to say that. He's going to say something else. But he's not going to be too happy. But what Jesus says in this story, Jesus says, even though he says no at first, man, if you just keep on banging on that door long enough and saying, hey, Fred, I'm not going anywhere. I got some company, Fred. They're hungry. Come on, help us out. Give us some bread. Jesus says, if you keep asking long enough, not because he likes you, not out of the generosity of his heart, but just to get you to shut up and go away, he will eventually give you what you're asking for. 
Now, what is Jesus' point here? Again, it starts, it says, teaching them about prayer. And so in the context of prayer, Jesus tells that story, and then he summarizes it this way, and he says, So I tell you, verse 9, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Now, if you're perceptive, you're probably like thinking, like, wait a second. Is Jesus saying that when we pray, our prayers are basically like annoying to God? You know, he's like trying to take a nap and we come and we bother him. But if we just annoy him enough, if we just pester God enough, then he will finally give in and meet our demands and give us what we're asking for. Is that what Jesus is saying? No, of course, that's not what Jesus is saying. That's not his point. Jesus' point is that, hey, if even a neighbor who doesn't want to give you the bread, if even that ungenerous, unloving neighbor, if he will even give you the bread, if you keep on asking long enough, then how much more will your good Father in heaven, who loves you and delights in you and who neither sleeps nor slumbers, how much more will that good, loving Father give to his children what they ask? of him when they come to him in prayer. That's Jesus' point here. Now, this is really important to understand. Jesus here is not trying to teach us that God is some cosmic vending machine, and we just come to him, we punch in the numbers, we ask him for whatever he wants, and then he is obligated to give it to us. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, especially when we pray something that is outside the will of God and his kingdom, that he's going to answer that for us, right? So, like, this is a ridiculous example, but, like, if you binge watch Breaking Bad, and then you're like, hey, you know what, Gustavo Fring, that's a pretty cool character. I think I want to, you know, open up a chicken shop, but run it, you know, really run my drug empire through it. Like, I want to be a drug lord. And so, you say, hey, God, help me become a drug lord so I can become rich. Right? Jesus is not saying that if you keep asking that long enough, then God's up in heaven like, well, he keeps on asking, so I guess I've got to do it for him. I guess I've got to help him become a drug lord and ruin people's lives. That's, that's not it at all. And again, I know that's ridiculous, but that's not what Jesus is saying. But what Jesus is saying here is that when our prayers align with the will of heaven, and we'll talk in a couple weeks about what that means, But when our prayers align with the will of heaven, then God will move heaven to change earth. Right? When our prayers align with God's will in heaven, then God will move heaven to change what happens on this earth. Our prayers actually change things. And so, listen, here's the deal. It is okay that all of us, myself included, it's okay that we all have so much room to grow in our prayer life. But at the same time, it is so vital that we strive to, through the power of the Spirit, grow in our prayer lives because our prayers actually make a difference in this world. I mean, what if there are people right now living in our community? There are people in Garden Oaks and Oak Forest and the Heights who are lost and don't have a relationship with God. And what if God's plan to give them salvation through faith in Jesus, God's plan to bring them to himself is by answering the prayers that we pray for them? Right? What if the way people in our community are going to come to faith in Christ is by God answering our prayers? 
What if prayer is the vehicle that God has chosen to use to restore broken marriages in our community? Or what if prayer is the vehicle that God has chosen to heal the sick in our community? What if prayer is the vehicle that God has chosen to bring wayward and prodigal children back into their families again? Right? What Jesus teaches here when he's teaching his disciples to pray by giving them the Lord's Prayer, saying, hey, yes, dis- prayer is a learned skill, it is a learned discipline. You need to learn how to grow in your prayer lives, but you need to do that. Because Jesus says prayer actually changes things. God delights in answering the faithful prayers of his people. So as we close, I just want us to think, what is a step that we can take this week to grow in our prayer lives? Because again, every single one of us, I don't care who you are, every single one of us have room to grow in our prayer lives. So just for this week, what is just one simple step you can take to grow in your prayer life? Maybe for you, it's just right now today, you are going to make a commitment to be here the next seven weeks as we walk through the Lord's Prayer and as we unpack it together. Maybe that's just the only commitment you need to make. Say, I'm going I'm to I'm make a commitment to be here. I'm going to show up. I'm going to get out of bed. I'm going to be here the next seven weeks to learn from Jesus how to pray. Maybe that's the step that you take. Another step for you to take is maybe um, you've been, if you're like kind of a veteran at prayer, you've been at this prayer thing for a while, you feel pretty comfortable and confident in your prayer life, but you know you have room to grow. Maybe the step you can take this week is you take the Lord's Prayer, this model prayer, and you begin kind of praying through it. And what I mean by that is you read the Lord's Prayer and you kind of take each line and then you stop and you pause and you kind of pray through that line in your own words. So for example, you look at the Lord's Prayer and you stop and you say, okay, our Father in heaven. So then you stop and then you just talk to God and say, God, you are a Father. You are not just some creator. You are not just some almighty judge. You are not some distant, powerful being. You are as near to me as a Father. Thank you for calling me your child. Then you go to the next word, hallowed or holy be your name. And you just Spend a moment praising God, adoring God for his holiness, for his righteousness, for his character, for who he is. And and you just do that. You go line by line through the Lord's Prayer. You read that prayer and then you stop and you pause and, and you just kind of reframe that in your own words and you talk to God that way. So maybe if you've been at this prayer thing for a while, that's a step you can take this week to grow in your prayer life. Just pray through the Lord's Prayer in your own words. But then maybe if you're completely new to prayer and you're unsure of how to pray and what to say, hey, that is okay. You can begin by taking the step of just using Jesus' words until you can find your own words. Just begin by praying through the Lord's Prayer. Just take Jesus' model prayer as your prayer. And maybe you can just begin each day by praying that. And as you do and you go through this, here's the deal. You may not even know what each of these things you say in this prayer mean. That's okay, we're gonna unpack that over the next few weeks. But maybe that's just one simple step you can take. Borrow from the words of Jesus. Start by saying, okay, God, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm totally new to this. I don't know if I'm doing it right, but God, here I am, and I'm going to say these words as a prayer to you. And you start by just reciting the words of Jesus to God the Father.